Now we ask that you remain standing for the reading of the word. Beloved, now please open our Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, or in the chapter that narrates uh, our Lord's great passion, his sufferings, his, uh, his sufferings on the cross, his death on the cross. It's a imp- very, very important chapter. We need to really very much understand it. So I think I've got three sermons yeah. uh, in, 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 on the very sufferings of Christ on the cross. Uh, it brings everything in the Gospel of Matthew to the climax. Indeed, uh, the cross is the very crux of the Bible. We see things here revealed about God himself that... Uh, are not revealed in quite so stark a way as we see them revealed at the cross. And certainly things about our Lord Jesus that are revealed to us here, mysteries that are, are now made clear uh, in this passage by the Holy Spirit. And the, it might be said that the rest of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament, uh, basically, basically is, is treatment and uh, commentary filling out what has, what has happened here in these few hours as the Lord suffers as uh, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm going to begin our reading with uh, verse 24, Matthew 27, verse 24, but I will preach verses 27 through 32. I know that your Bibles are probably marked in, uh, differently parenthetically, but that's all right. We can just uh, take one step further than the paragraph and uh, include the line 32 in here. So I will preach Matthew 27, verse 27 through 32, beginning with verse 24. Hear now the word of our Lord. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, then stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes on him, led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled him, they compelled this man to carry his cross. As far reading God's most holy, infallible, and inerrant word, Beloved, all flesh is as grass, its beauty is as the flower of the field. Grass withers and its flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. This is the word that was just read to you by God's help. It will be preached. Please be seated. I uh, enjoy talking to friends, calling them up uh, during the week. This, uh, This week I called my friend Ken Harris. He's the father of Diane, of Joanne Russell. Member of our church, and uh, Ken uh, has a lot of preacher stories. He always has something for me. I really enjoy talking to Ken. He said, 
He told me, a, a preacher said one time that uh, as far as a, a, a healthy church goes, you know, when the church is healthy, even a sermon as simple as Mary had a little lamb will, will satisfy. <laughs> I had to chuckle at that. Mary had a little lamb. Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. The more we think about God's lamb, the more we will be contented as Christians. The more we will praise God, because in God's lamb is revealed to us all our peace, all our joy. The glory of God is manifested in, in the brightest terms in this spotless lamb that was offered on our behalf, that was announced since the beginning of his earthly ministry here by John the Baptist at Jordan, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And now the culmination of that gospel. And we see on Passover itself that Lamb that has been prepared from before the foundation of the earth by the decree of God to, to die for the sins of his people, to redeem those that are under bondage, to bring them forth from the state and dominion of death, of sin, of law, or condemnation, and to bring them into an estate of grace, to open wide the gates of salvation, to, to open the Holy of Holies, the very, the, the very throne of the Lord, and uh, a veil for peace. Mary had a, a little lamb, how simple. The gospel can be so simple and so bright and so delightful. And if we would just remember the work of Christ on the cross, that, I think, would help us to keep this simple message running fast. The gospel needs to go fast and cover the world, and its messengers need to be as, as, as arrows and, and as angels flaming, flaming darts. The teaching here is that Jesus, the Holy Son of God, suffers, suffered greatly. And he suffered as a man, but in his whole person. There was not a part of him that did not suffer. He suffered as a person in the whole extremity of a person. That Holy Son of God, Jesus, suffered greatly in his whole person in the place of sinners as a substitute. Jesus is the Lamb of God who, as our vicarious sacrifice, as our substitute, takes away our sins, pays for our debt, grants us also not only to be debt-free, but grants us positive righteousness. The righteousness of God is ours. Jesus, the Holy Son of God, suffered greatly in his whole person in the place of sinners. And Jesus is that Lamb of God who, as our substitute, our vicarious sacrifice, takes away our sins and grants us his righteousness, the very righteousness of God. That's the teaching. That's what that Lamb has done and continues to do for us. We'll see this, my friends, in two points. We'll see, first of all, that Jesus endured Great sufferings, great sufferings uh, after being condemned by Pilate. <clears throat> Jesus, of course, suffered greatly at the hands of these brutal 
Roman soldiers. And it's, uh, it, it requires us to affirm once again that Jesus had a real human body. We know he was not a mere man, but we also know that he was truly a man. And uh, as a man, that body was subject to everything that our bodies are subject to. He tired, he was fatigued. He suffered trauma uh, when, the, uh, when he <clears throat> uh, was, was uh, subjected to pain. Here we see two broad categories, and then in the future sermons we're gonna see the third component of his whole body sufferings. We're gonna see today his emotional sufferings, because as a man he would have his own psyche, his own soul. <coughs> we see his physical sufferings. Uh, much is made, of course, of his physical sufferings because they are so graphic. And uh, the whole of the Roman enterprise of crucifixion was to make it a spectacle to evildoers. It was intentionally made to be gruesome and as a warning to others not to, to break uh, the law of the land. But we are going to take a look first at the emotional sufferings, those things that uh, sometimes hurt more, as the expression goes, more than sticks and stones. You know the expression, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Sorry, folks, words can cut deeply. And words, words are remembered far longer than lacerations and bruises, cuts and scrapes. Emotional sufferings, mostly in the term of mockery. Now, man in the image of God was made a noble creature, dignified. He was upright. He had knowledge. He, he, he had dominion. He was, he was a king. He was a viceroy under God. And to have God's apex creature derided and denuded and mocked and shamed is, uh, well, my friends, it goes to show you what sin, where sin has led us. It goes to show you what sin, what sin has robbed us of, the whole of the dignity of the Son of God. How is this possible? You see, in his emotional sufferings, Jesus has already spent a whole night without sleep. Now, that's not too unusual because it was Passover night and... You might say, you know, the Israelites did the same thing in that first Passover as they waited on the angel of the Lord and as they were delivered from Egypt, they left at midnight and they, they marched out of the city. An inconvenience for sure. Yes, they were fatigued, they were tired. But Jesus already had had a very busy week and he had been uh, teaching and he had been preaching and he had been praying that night long, agonizing in prayer as it were, drops of blood collecting from his forehead. He had had already his disappointment with his friends, his disciples, whom he most trusted in. They just couldn't, they just couldn't keep awake. They didn't realize the extremity of the hour. Jesus, of course, knew, knew what was coming. Jesus had already undergone two trials, and those two trials had gone very badly for him. All this, my friends, is, is trauma. I don't know if you've ever been to court. I, I've, I've never been the subject of an inquiry like this. 
you know, not in the civil courts at least. But, uh, you know, my friends, that's hard on a person, being in front of all people that are jeering and uh, saying things that some hope to have a witness and collaboration, though there's not, a great amount of slander, and then two unjust, unjust convictions, where the Lord himself has set up government to keep order and justice in the earth, and the, own, the, the very government that Jesus sets up under his administration turns on the, turns on the very creator of that government. The irony here is extreme. Jesus is then given to a whole cohort of Roman soldiers for torture. Soldiers can be very cruel. What were they doing? Now, it's not evident in the English what is happening. The, the action here is continuous and uh, repeated. Let me narrate to you what probably is happening here so you'll get a, a sense, a kind of a visual uh, of, of the mocking uh, before the Lord Jesus. What they're mocking him, of course, is his claim to be the king of the Jews. He did not deny that, and uh, that he was the son of God. And now, of course, uh, that uh, would have implied Messiah, that would have implied kingship again, uh, in a state of exaltation, and a state of favor. And they wanted to rob him of that. They wanted to make sure that he understood, that Jesus understood, that this was an impossible, impossible, fantastic idea, a, del a delirium, and they would be sure of that by the end of the day. So this cohort of Roman soldiers tortured him. They shamed our Lord by stripping him of his outer garment. Now, my friends, I don't know, we've forgotten, I think, I, I, we've forgotten uh, that the body is to be covered. Now, people take off their clothes everywhere. You know, you go to the mall and people are half naked anyway. They're wearing netting for, for blouses any, any longer. You complain to the constable and they say, that's their culture. Well, why can't you, can you just arrest the whole culture? I'm sick of the whole culture. Arrest them and put them all in jail. You can't do that. People think that the, the naked body is somehow to be gloried, glorified in, but that's not, that's not our estate after sin. After Adam and Eve sinned, they were ashamed to be naked. So God sees the naked body in another way, and we need to see the naked body in another way, and Jesus felt the shame of being stripped of his outer garment. And then, and here's where the action of the verbs in the Greek help out, they were not just mocking Jesus, but repeatedly. Ad seriatim, you might say. Hail, King of the Jews, in order. And there's, there's really nothing quite so exquisite, is there, as an orderly disorder, a vicious torture that is in concert. So they sat Jesus down as a king, And then they handed him a reed or some kind of a rod of some sort. It, it, it wasn't completely uh, flexible. It had to have some stiffness to it. It was a, it was a mock scepter. 
Of course, we know that the king's anointed from Psalm 2 is given a scepter, a scepter of righteousness. All kings have scepters. It's a, it's a, it's a mark of their kingliness. These people had seen royalty. We don't, we don't see royalty in America anymore. America doesn't have any kings. You have to watch you know, movies, go to, go to different epics and read in books. But this is what, they, what kings and how they, how they rule. They sit down, they, they sit with their scepter. They crowned him, but with a mock crown of thorns. Now, thorns, that, this is not insignificant. This is the Holy Spirit reminding us that thorns were issued into the creation as a result of the, the fall of man into sin. Thorns are an emblem of a curse. And Jesus here, Jesus here is beginning already to take on the curse the curse of the wrath of God for sin. Not his. He's that lamb of God that's blameless and spotless. But he is the substitute lamb that must suffer in the place of those to whom the punishment is due. Genesis 3.18. The ground will, will, will now will produce thorns and, and thistles. And by the sweat of your brow, you'll earn your keep. And Jesus had already sweat his brow that evening in prayer. And now he comes to the thorns. And these soldiers, again, perhaps they lined up, perhaps they were taking turns, I don't know the order, but they were genuflecting, that's to say that they were bending the knee, they were making good show, uh, and mocking the Lord Jesus, coming to him, bending the knee, striking him, taking the reed from his hand, or perhaps holding his hand firmly and having the, the reed strike his own head, very funny, very, very funny to these soldiers. And uh, spitting on him, spitting on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in succession. That's how, that's, that's the action in the room. And this is an emotional suffering. This is a, a mockery. My friends, we ought not to mock anyone. Uh, I know we do it in jest as friends, and there are caricaturists and there are people like that, but you know, we have to be careful because the least man, the least woman is in the image of God. We sorely break the third commandment when we mock a man or a woman for his error, for his political views, for his religion. But when we mock the King of Kings, when we mock the Creator of mankind, this says something about our blindness. This says something about our rage. This says something about our parentage. We really show ourselves to be the seed of the serpent here when we take on the seed of the woman. Emotional sufferings, mocking. Then we have the physical sufferings, these beatings, Jesus was physically, bodily fatigued from the, the previous night's events. There were wounds already inflicted by Pilate. There was floggings, and there were beatings. Now, flogging, the, the, the whips would have had pieces of metal and other sharp implements in there, and they would not only hit, but they would cut. Also, at uh, high speed, the rope itself uh, would, 
with open skin and the velocity at the tip of a, a, of a whip and of a, of a flogging instrument exceeds that of any baseball. And it hurt, it was sharp. Wounds previously inflicted would open up the skin, um, which makes Jesus undressing and redressing, putting on and off these garments, painful. Here's why. He is sensitive. His body is already hurting. You know, when you touch, when you touch a wound, it hurts. Just the mild touch of a garment would be enough to hurt the Lord. But on top of that, there would be open cuts, there would be open stripes. These would have blood, and the blood would have clotted on the garments. And as you release the garments, it'd be like pulling off band-aids and opening up the wounds again and again. Thorns, not small, were pressed into his head. There's just very little protection there. You know how the head bleeds. If you've sustained a cut, the head has any number of small capillaries. I remember we were in Fort Lauderdale Beach one time, and we were just playing on a, one of those floats. The float had a, a hard piece of plastic, the inflatable uh, uh, nipple there, and a big wave came, and uh, uh, I think it was my brother was riding the, the float, and it, it just cut my father right, right at the left edge of the forehead here. I had never seen so much blood in my life. It hit just the right, the right uh, nerve, uh, the right capillary there. But thorns pressed into his head. And the thorns were repeatedly driven into his head because he was being struck by that reed in his hand. It was like they were digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And each time, that was fresh pain to the head. My friends, the head wearing a crown is, in, is the very figure of authority, the very figure of dignity, the very figure of glory and majesty. And, 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 and Jesus had had this from all eternity. And he had enjoyed the worship of angels in heaven. And to be treated so shamefully and so despicably. He is the head of all humanity and the head expressly of the church. But how that sacred head was wounded is an amazing, amazing story. There was much blood loss. Some of you may know this. If you have lost a lot of blood, you will dehydrate. And when you dehydrate, there's a, a lot of danger. You might get dizzy. You might suffer nausea. Many, many things uh, begin to go very wrong. Your oxygen contact goes low. Breathing becomes difficult. Much loss of blood. I will say this. <clears throat> now, I, I'll, I'll allude to it in another future sermon. The whole... The whole design of crucifixion is to avoid 
the rupturing or the harming of vital organs so that death is delayed. It is this, it's as if in this passage we're finally coming to term with what the Lord said to Adam and he warned him that in the, tr the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the English Bible says, surely you shall die. That's been our, our translation and our custom. I've grown to see that, it, that there's something much, much, much more being said in the Hebrew there. I'm not over-exegeting it. I think what it is saying is that, that not only will you surely die, but dying, you shall die. Crucifixion is as close a narrative to what hell is about. Because in hell, souls don't die. In hell, dying, they die. They are never spent dying. They are always dying. They are further and further removed from the benevolent presence of God. They are further and further guilty by their profane cussing, swearing, and hatred of God. They grow more and more putrid. And crucifixion is a dying, you shall surely die. It's meant by design to delay death and to, uh, to, to, to prolong agony. And of course, it looks like Jesus would also from there, after this mocking and after this, the beatings, would bear his own cross and that would not be a shiny gold, metal, light metal object with camphored edges. It's not that. This is a, a splintered old thing. And uh, it may have been rotten. It may have been dirty. It may have had other people's blood on it. it I don't know. The whole thing was meant to be derisive. But Jesus' sufferings would be completed and he would be nailed to the cross. To the cross. And the whole man... The whole man must suffer because the whole man sins. He sins with his heart. He sins with his soul. He sins with his tongue. He sins with his body. He sins in his spirit. And the lamb, who would be the vicarious sacrifice, suffering for the sinners, would suffer in the whole man, emotionally, physically. And now the worst, now the worst of all, the worst of all would be the spiritual sufferings of Jesus. That is not visible. That's, that's an act. You must see this and read this by faith. Accept it. Uh, it'll be explained in other sermons forthcoming. Jesus' sufferings would be complete. But Jesus was kept alive <clears throat> purposely on the way to the cross for further torture on the cross. This is how, this is how cruel this is, this, is, this is hell. This is how cruel this is. This, of course, again, as I've said, is a display and a warning from Rome, the government authorities, to troublemakers. Jesus already <clears throat> extremely weakened. Simon of Cyrene was compelled to bear Jesus' cross. Uh, is that an act of kindness? Yes. And no. Uh, but it was uh, certainly providential. I say this because this extended the life of Christ, or so 
the Romans thought. Now it gets, now it gets very complicated. As it turns out, and I'm not going to explain it here, as it turns out, this is the Son of God. No man can really take his life. He must give up his spirit willingly, and he will. But he's also a victim. He, he is killed. And that was the purpose of the cross. But uh, the Romans would extend his life because they wanted him up between the thieves on Golgotha as a display in agony. Uh, that's what the Romans thought. Uh, obviously, he's the, he's the son of God. And nothing's going to happen to him except for the will of heaven. So I see this as an extension of his life in order to fulfill the remaining prophecies of Scripture narrating his death. And we're going to see how this all plays into Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have, why have you forgot, uh, forsaken me? The, the dividing of, of his garments, the casting of lots, the wagging of, of heads, all that. <clears throat> so Jesus was kept alive on the way to crucifixion, all under the decree of heaven, all under the decree of a decrepit and brutal Roman, uh, Roman government. And we see both perfectly being in harmony and perfectly uh, coming to terms for the fulfillment of that great sacrifice, the Lamb of God, that spotless Lamb of God, that was to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. Not only are our sins, but the sins of the whole world. My friends, we see here fallen, sinful man, and not painted in a very good picture. This is man at his worst. He is wicked. He, he can be brutish. He can be as cruel as the tormenting devils of hell because they are sons of Satan until, they're until they are regenerated. You must understand that in, in Adam we are dead in sins and trespasses. We have no working righteousness, no, not one, that our thoughts are only continually evil, desperately so. And our hearts are so deceived we don't believe it, but that's how prophecy, that's how revelation paints us, that's how God, most holy, infinitely holy, sees our whole race and you and I in it, apart from the conversion of the Holy Spirit, the regeneration of the new man. We're no better than devils. And this passage really <clears throat> narrates the beginning of hell for Jesus. It's the beginning of hell that he will suffer. We also see the war of the seeds. The Lord told Adam <clears throat> that Mary would give birth to one that would vindicate, the one that would avenge the cruelty, the, the, the conceit, the, the, the beguiling of the serpent. But her line, a godly seed that was promised to her, would be at war with the seed of the serpent. We have two lines, the race of man, both sinful, fallen in Adam, but one to be reclaimed and regenerated, and one that will battle against the regenerate seed. And that, my friends, is basically how we look at the world. The world is composed of two, two lines. Those that remain fallen in Adam and never come to the cleansing blood of Christ, never receive the lamb, never receive the, the reconciliation that God offers to all people. 
and we see the other line that does recover, that sees its own madness of heart, the wickedness, the hateful heart that would so destroy not just fellow man, but the very spotless lamb, God's own lamb. That's what fallen human nature will do. We're devilish. When we see this, we become alarmed. We run to that lamb. We run to God. We, we close with the gospel offer because we see it as a triumph over our own desperate condition. It glorifies God, and it surely, surely brings pleasure to Jesus knowing that he did not die in vain, but the soul has been delivered by his sufferings. The war of the seeds here is very evident in this passion. It's really the devil and his seed versus Christ and his seed. So you have to ask yourself, which line? Which line do you see yourself aligned with? Where are you in this narrative? There's only two. There are the sons of God. <coughs> and they're the sons of this age. The second point and final point of the sermon is this. Not only did Jesus endure great sufferings after being condemned by Pilate, but Jesus' sufferings uh, was vicarious. And uh, I want to amplify on that. I've already said it, but I want to amplify. It was vicarious on behalf of his people. He is our substitute. He is our representative. That's to say that he is our head. Again, the song, sacred head now wounded. Again, the crown, the beatings of the thorns on his head. It, 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 they are striking the head. They are striking the representative. This is the action of the passion here. He's our head, and as a representative, he then becomes our surety before God. That is to say, the payment price for our redemption is at the right hand of God. Jesus suffered then for no sin or no crime of his own, he was convicted on those two courts, right? In the ecclesiastical court, the church court, he was free of that charge, no sin. Before Pilate, that would have been a civil court, no crime. He was not guilty of either. But uh, as the lamb, he must suffer. And I'll, in future sermons, I'll develop the concept of hell. Not only is the lamb slain on the Passover, my friends, but that lamb is roasted. And that lamb is roasted in fire. That's the hell of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Scripture attests so many places to this. I don't have time to read it. Isaiah 53. He's presented as that surety, that sacrifice that avails by his stripes were healed. 2 Corinthians 5. He, he, that is Jesus, who knew no sin at all, became, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If there's one verse that you should park and meditate on, it's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. How can the perfect son of God, the, a divine being incarnate, take this expression as becoming sin for us. And yet that is 
what the scripture says. Every part of the passion, my friends, every part of his sufferings was intentional, measured, exacting, and just, and it was vicarious on behalf of us, our sinners. Let me explain. Jesus was condemned, though he was innocent. We will be acquitted. We will be judged innocent, though in, indeed we are worthy of death because we're guilty. He condemned, we pronounced innocent. That's a vicarious substitution. He, a crown of thorns, he who rules the nations, he who at his birth was adored by kings, wise men. At his birth, the angel choirs left their gaze of the heavenly throne and looked down at the manger. A crown of thorns to this king to crown his people with glory, who are people who are but dust and accursed dust, a people earning their keep by the sweat of their brows, worse than slaves, now promoted to kingliness. Isn't that, my friends, a vicarious transaction, a, a tremendous imputation? He, my friends, it, it must be said reverently, was stripped naked in shame. He was stripped that we who are naked and of ourselves shameful might be clothed in white splendor of glory. This is by his imputation and his gift to us. He was mocked and he was cursed that we, his people, might be honored and blessed as kings, as priests, as a commonwealth of prophets, that we might be advanced and sit not in our ashes, but among the princes of his people. He was mocked and declared unable to even save himself on the cross. Now, come down. Hey, you're the son of God? Okay. Where's your kingdom? Save yourself. You saved others. Come on down. He, de he declined. He declined. He had to lose himself. He had to die on our behalf that he might save us because he's able to save all who come to him. And he died, he truly died, that we might live and that we might truly live. And Jesus suffered all this wrath. Jesus suffered all this accursed, holy wrath of God, just, justly. And God justly condemned him and God justly treated him this way through secondary causes, the Roman government. But he justly did this because God the Father was imputing sin to him. And that's the mystery of Isaiah 53. And he would be the sin bearer. But it was for us. He broke no law. We were the lawbreakers. So know for certain that the curse of God's law still abides on you. But God, what he's showing all humanity here, the spectacle of the cross is that while God may be very forbearing, 
sending his rains and and due seasons and fruitful fields and and happy marriages and wine and vineyards. May he he's sending all of these good things to all people indiscriminately. But that's by his forbearance. He by no means winks at sin. He shows us precisely what he thinks of sin. Because when he imputes sin, when he places sin to the credit of his own son Jesus, he well nigh annihilates him. And that's a holy justice and wrath. The curse of God's law abides on you and on everyone who does not have the Lamb's blood. You must receive God's reconciliation, his terms of peace. <coughs> and that's offered to you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you, you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. You will be granted repentance. You will be given the Spirit of God that will give you life and will cause you to walk in his ways, to love his ways, to love his teachings, to love his law. And unless you do this, unless you repent of your sin and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then dying you shall die. And you have a portraiture here of what hell is about. <laughs> My friends, the teaching here is plain that Jesus, the Holy Son of God, suffered greatly in his whole person in the place of sinners. <laughs> Jesus is that Lamb of God who, as a, our vicarious sacrifice, takes away our sins, and he grants us all of his wonderful benefits and privileges and status as sons in the Lord. And my friends, study all of this carefully. You must be very much aware. You must, be, you, you must have sufficient knowledge of the prophecies concerning this passage, this event. This is the very crosshairs of the Bible. This is one thing you cannot possibly get wrong. You get wrong all kinds of things about the end of the age and whether polar ice caps are going to melt and all the polar bears are going to whatever. It has nothing at all that pales in comparison to the importance of understanding. What is this passage about? Be certain that all of the Old Testament and all the sacrifices and all the altars and all the blood of bulls and goats and rams all of that portrayed that God requires life for life, and the life is in the blood. God requires blood. God has received blood, sacred blood, in the blood of his Son. All is fulfilled in this passion of Christ to make an end of transgression and sacrifice and usher in an everlasting peace and reconciliation, and sonship, and glory. My friends, study the details of Jesus' passion. Meditate on these things often, especially 2 Corinthians 5. All of the mysteries of the ages are here, narrated for you, and revealed. You need to train yourself, and you need to, my friends, you need to influence your affections to esteem the work of the Lord greatly. Not to pity him, for Lord... He's, this is not in his weakness, my friends. Here is our Samson. Here is our Hercules. 
Jesus is more than a conqueror here by yielding himself in this way. If you pity him, you do not understand. If you, if you stop at merely his physical sufferings, you do not understand the mystery of the cross. And so you can thank the Lord then for suffering on your behalf. You need to become expert, expert at recalling the gospel to yourself every day. Every time you confess your sins, you are to, you are to remember this gospel. You are to remember his sufferings. You are to remember that he, in agony, presented himself for your relief. And it is further sin in your prayer if you do not, my friends, receive that relief. Because your greatest glory in worship is to say thank you and to know and rest that God is propitiated, that he's satisfied, that he receives you, that all is complete, that you lack nothing, that he's embraced you, that your war is not against God, but your war is against Satan, the flesh, and the world. That's who you battle. You are not fighting God. God is reconciled in Christ. Preach it to yourself. You can't pay me enough to preach this enough, enough times to you. You need to learn to preach it yourself. And that's how you enter his courts with thanksgiving and his uh, courts with praise. When you come in, knowing that you are already fully accepted before the Lord and welcome into the palace of the king. Who can come into his presence with a long face on those terms? Thank the Lord and God the Father then for imputing all of that is wrong with you, all of your sin, all of your corruption, all of your perversion, all of your rebellion, all your ignorance, all of that goes to Jesus' side of the ledger, and what comes back to you is on your side of the ledger, all of his goodness, all of his knowledge, all of his righteousness, all of his salvation and redemption. All of that is yours. That's the transaction. That's what we call imputation. It's an accounting ledger transaction. And God upholds it as just in his courts because he has a way for sinners to return to him that he might be just in condemning sin, but the justifier of the sinner who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, that is the gospel. Thank the Lord the Father for imputing your sin to Jesus. Thank him for imputing Jesus' righteousness and all of his benefits and all of his redemption to you. It's all done. It's all accomplished. All that the Holy Spirit does is he takes that and applies it to you. That's all. Everything is already done. He brings it to you in the Holy Spirit at your conversion. Believe that, and you have great joy. Meanwhile, learn to hate sin. Sin destroyed our whole race. Sin has killed our race. Hate it in general, hate it in particular. Grieve over sin. Hate your own particular sins. Not because it's your undoing. Not merely because of the misery that is introduced in your own life by sin. But because of what Jesus suffered on account of your sin. On account of my sin. On account of you own it. It was, it was your sin that striped Jesus. It was, it was your sin that had him bleed. But my friends, he did that 
not to shame us here, not to browbeat us, but to remind us of his great love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were helpless, when we were a pile of bones, dried bones, without sinews, without moisture in the desert, he sent his spirit and he breathed on us and he said, live. And those bones became moist with marrow and the sinews grew and they knit together and they framed a, a body and the flesh became moist with water and the spirit entered the lungs of those dead bones and a whole host of, of people were regenerated and resurrected to life. And that, my friends, is the whole of the company of the elect. Because Jesus has grown, has, 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 is victor. Jesus is victor over death and sin and over all consequences. And I believe that. Believe that, that that was very intentional and rejoice in God's good gift. That is, that is the gospel. And God is to be celebrated in his son forever and ever. It will be the anthem of heaven forever. We will never tire of singing the Savior's praises. We will never tire of the redemption story. We will always see something new in it. Something new. And as we learn of God's particular work in each soul that he has delivered, we will once again praise him for the great, the great sacrifice of that lamb that was slain. Let's pray. Lord, you have made us glad in all your gifts. We thank you for Christ, our victor, Christ, our king, Christ, your lamb. We pray that the simple preaching of the gospel would be the power of God unto salvation, not only for us here who believe, but to perhaps others who might hear this message. We thank you for such hope. We thank you, Lord, that you have delivered us from our worst enemies and our worst fears. And having this hope, we can rejoice. We can come into your house with thanksgiving and praise. And we can give you great honor and great glory. For you, Lord, have done it. You have saved us. For your own glorious name's sake, we pray it. Amen. Let's have an offering, please. Thank <laughs> you.